Welcome to Truthsayers Neurocast. The podcast that brings together leading voices from business, science and technology to share reflections and stories on the value of open, honest communication. In this episode, we ask why is embedding change so tough and what can we do about it? Hi, I'm Simon Stapleton. I'm Chief Exec of Truthsayers and I'm here with Mark Matheson, who is an Agile Ways of Working coach. So hi, Mark. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, Hi there, Simon. Thanks very much for this opportunity. I've been in technology for 40 years, started off as a software developer, then became um, a technical lead, etc. But I would say in terms of change and transformation, I've been changing transformation probably for just under that for about 35 years or so. Finance has been my predominant sector and investment banking and um, asset and wealth management has been the best part of that with the occasional foray outside. And then I soon realized that actually finance wasn't so bad after all. So I always came back to finance. (laughs) Now, I've known you for a little while now and I consider you as a friend and um, and a colleague. And we've we've done a couple of small projects together. And, you know, I think think we've we both organizations got a lot out of that because we learned a few new things. But um, I just wanted to ask you, um, in terms of change and particularly leading change, as you know, you've been full spectrum from grassroots right up to, you know, senior change uh, leadership. Yes. Why is embedding change so difficult for leaders? The the answers for me come twofold. One, very much within your space as well, Simon. So The first is tangible and the other one is intangible. The tangible reasons for me would be things such as the structures that are in place in an organization. An organization, you may as well say, is an entity in its own right. It's a living, breathing organism almost in its own right, Mm. which means that it has its own value systems. It has its own processes. Changing that is just very, very difficult. We all know that habits are obviously hard to change. So that's the first thing I would say, the actual tangible structures that are there. There's good reason for leaders to think, well, do I need to go to this new, what they think is a new fandangled thing called Agile, Mm. um, when we've got these other things that are in place that seem to be working? A second reason is, and and this actually comes from a couple of organizations um, who I've worked with over the years, um, shareholder value. There's a real tangible reason there again as to why well, do we really need to change? Is it going to cause damage or inflict some pain on our shareholder value? And that doesn't always have to be seen in this um, capitalist sense that, you know, uh, that that people that has to be construed in a negative way because shareholder value could involve you and me indirectly. We are savers. We may have pensions. We may be investing through the very organizations that I've helped in change and transformation over the years. It's very easy to think these organizations have nefarious objectives, but actually they could be serving you and me. So they they, they are oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they are serving just the ordinary person, just like you and me. And shareholder value has to come into play with the leader's thought process. Another one is control. Do they want to relinquish control? Having strived for 20, however many years to become a leader, having done their time, so to speak, Agile promotes servant leadership, a servant being there first. Are they there to serve or there to be served? So that's that's a, a definite challenge for someone who is a leader. There are lots of tangible but also intangible reasons as to why changes or can be a challenge to embed in an organisation. I guess the whole ESG uh, and all the rise of ESG has, has really shone a spotlight onto what you've just said there. 
that it's not just about the capitalist behavior. It's not even just serving the people inside the organization. It's the whole the social side, very much the social side, embedding change so it serves those purposes, which are often, you know, beyond beyond the day-to-day work is absolutely, you know, a key challenge for leaders. So, Mark, having been involved with change, or, you know, both involved with, with change, right, at, as I said earlier, grassroots, working within teams. Yes. Uh, managing discrete projects and then managing programs, you know, that, that whole hierarchy there. Um, just in, interested to know your view on how understanding our own attitudes, beliefs, you know, sentiment and probably personal challenges. Why is that important as, as a leader, particularly? This uh, is going to sound really cheesy, but this really is um, a great question for someone who loves Agile. When I look at what Agile is trying to do for both individually and organizationally, because Agile is a fractal, you know, methodology really from yeah. from right from micro through to macro. It almost doesn't matter what you're trying to measure using Agile. The scale, uh, it it is agnostic to the scale that we wish to actually see something and wish and we wish to measure something. So when I look at Agile with the core values, five core values, as I remember them, CFORC. So courage, focus, openness, respect and commitment. The three pillars of Agile transparency, inspection, adaptation, and then the five events of Agile, but two in particular, the review and the retrospective. I know that these are more scrum flavor Agile, but essentially Agile, all variants of it do these things to some degree or another. And when I take all those into account, Simon, those all give an individual, a team, and then an organization, an opportunity to examine its own attitudes its own shortcomings, its own strengths. And so when you take into account the transparency, inspection and adaptation in particular, if somebody then has the courage to use those values and they're doing them on a regular basis, sorry, I've tapped into all three of those areas there, we're using the retrospective and the review in a tangible sense, because that's what organizations are really there for first and foremost they are there to deliver tangible value to its customers and to shareholders and to employees the tangible things actually say well tangibly have we delivered something have we delivered what the customer wants so if they if the answer to that is well we don't really know could it be because we haven't put in place some very simple mechanisms that enable us to be transparent to ourselves don't worry about to the outside world but to ourselves mm. If, if we say we have, great, we've got some mechanisms there to be transparent, then the next one is, okay, have we had the courage to inspect using those transparent means and mechanisms? Again, the answer is almost the binary one again, yes or no. If we have that we've had the courage firstly to be transparent, then to do the inspection, we said, okay, great, we've done both of those two things. The third one is the difficult one, the adaptation. You and I know that change is hard, um, especially as we'll probably come on to when you get into the subconscious elements of it. That bit is very hard to change. How do we adapt something when, for whatever reason, it doesn't feel right to do? And sometimes we can't explain it with a tangible cognitive reason. Okay, this is the reason why it's very conscious and very logical. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right. Maybe that will unfold over time as to the tangible practical reasons, the pragmatic reasons why we cannot do something. But agile, just to summarize all of that, those three areas, the values, the pillars, 
and the events, they give us a real opportunity to examine, as I said, individually and team-wide and then organisation-wide to, to examine our own attitudes, our own values, and therefore hopefully to deliver something that is tangible to a customer and to an employee, yeah. as well as something intangible where you do get that warm, fuzzy feeling that it feels good because you have delivered something tangible and you've received something intangible. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. And, and um, I, I think back to the uh, project we did last year, in the, the summer of last year, where we uh, took a couple of teams and we assessed them using the Neurotech assessment and really to measure their, not, ju- not just what they would choose to say, how, how they think, but also their subconscious, how they really feel about something. And we saw yes. some interesting stark differences and what I I found equally fascinating was some of the the conversations and narratives to come out of that because you know if we if we were to assess somebody and and they think they're really good at something but actually subconsciously they're not so good at it you know you could conclude off that that actually you know that they're not not telling us the truth Um, but actually as we know that's that isn't the truth just because somebody finds that their natural sort of sentimental position is very different than how they've reasoned it it doesn't mean they can't do it it's just that they have to wake up in the morning and work bloody hard (laughs) achieving that don't they yes yes um and and also i think it's really important to change because that you know I'm sure you you would agree that change doesn't fail because the mechanisms of change are wrong. Change fails because what needs to get done doesn't get done on time, to budget, you know, the right level of quality. And often, yes. as we know, things don't get done because they're really difficult. And Agreed. when, when you know, if I'm really good at one thing but bad at something else naturally, then I'm going to choose the things that are easy for me to do, yeah. quite frankly. If I'm under pressure, you know, yes. time is running out, I'm going to do the things, I'm going to cherry pick the things that are easy for me from an attitude and all, from a you know, brain power perspective. Yes, I'm going to leave the things that I struggle with innately. Yes, and, and actually, as we discovered, there are things that people do struggle with innately. That's true for everybody. You know, you show me a person that doesn't struggle with something. Um, when we understand ourselves and our in you know innate uh, challenges, we can then put something around it to support us in it. You know, or a manager, a leader can understand uh, their team. Mm-hmm. And what's how they're struggling, um, and and put the right su- support or you know bolster resources or whatever. Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed having those conversations with you because you know, in, in terms of our neurotech solution, we learned a slightly different framing of the conclusions. Yes. Um, because it's a new domain for us. In terms of learning from that exercise that we went through last year, what what were your big takeaways from it? Two that really stand out to me. Um, Firstly, we know that with Agile, stand-ups are absolutely essential. They're part of those five events that enable transparency, inspection and adaptation on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, And one of the things that I found really fascinating, Simon, with a piece of work we did last year was lots of the team members were saying that they found the daily stand-up consciously, explicitly, they found them really valuable, they found them useful, they served the purpose that the 
um, that the daily stand-up is meant to serve, or as it's called in Disciplined Agile, the daily coordination meeting, which is what it's really meant to do. It's meant to coordinate us to, toward this, the that iteration goal that's been set by the product owner. Um, and the team felt as though they were they that they were getting the most value from that daily stand-up, that daily coordination meeting. However, <laughs> what was fascinating with the Neurotech platform, it revealed a complete diametrically opposed innate response to what the daily stand-ups were doing. They didn't feel as though the daily stand-ups really served their purpose. They didn't feel that they were worthwhile and they were worth attending. That for me was a really great example of something that is so inherently, so strongly a part of an agile process, agile approach and agile methodology, something that's fundamental to it, that people who were engaging it didn't feel as though it was delivering the value that it should do, despite the fact that consciously, yeah, I turn up every day, it's half past nine, we, we, we're we only there for 15 minutes, so it's a good use of my time. But actually, did you feel that way? That for me was a real enlightening moment. I've heard many times over the years that lots of people, oh, I don't see why I've got to do it every day. Okay, I kind of get that. But when they get to the end of a sprint, they see the benefits of it and they say, oh, okay, yeah, that worked for me then. But actually, the process or the journey through that one week or two week or four week sprint, um, as a case of me, they didn't feel as though it was worth it. They almost had to get right until the very end. And then there was this eureka moment, this eureka feeling of, okay, yeah, this was worth it. But you, I, so that was something that I wanted to change, that, that I wanted to see, could we, what could we do that could get them to feel a bit better? And Simon, it was the most innocuous of things. So when we got to a retrospective, I then put that to the team. They saw for themselves what was measured by the neurotech versus what they had explicitly answered, both individually and as a team. Individually, they got their own reports. Collectively, we looked at the team as a whole and it was pretty consistent. So when I asked the team, well, what would you like to do differently? It really came back down to the woolly feeling, to be honest with you, Simon. They said, well, it feels like when we have the stand-ups, it feels like um, there's no kind of banter there. It just feels so formal. It feels so as though we're there just to have a meeting and, you know, just to talk about the stuff to deliver. And when we, when the team then talked it around in terms of the retrospective, they then decided for themselves to say, well, maybe we just spend the first two or three minutes just having a bit of a laugh and a joke. And when we then remeasured them, it was completely yeah. different. something as simple as that. But organizations with the best intent, I know that they put on like social events and all that kind of stuff, but those are one-time events and they're big, maybe every quarter, every half a year, or maybe even just every year. But people are going on their journey on a day-to-day basis. Those are the small stitches that bind them together. So yeah. what can they do on a small scale basis that enables them to feel good through that journey? That came through loud and clear for me. I mean, what was really pleasing for me on the other side of that was knowing that the platform itself would reveal something that you were probably never going to find out. And it's it's unlocked something which actually a real simple solution. I mean, I'd be lying if I said, you know, the programs I've run before, I haven't dreaded the stand-up meetings. Even though I've got to put on a brave face and smile and and look as though I'm in complete control, I've absolutely dreaded it because it's been such difficult situations. And if I was to have been honest with the people who I was serving at the time, you know, I'd have probably made some changes as well that would have just eased the tension 
which would have made it a more congenial environment to work in. Um, yes. Probably because I'm speaking with hindsight. I didn't know at the time that that's how I was really feeling. So actually, I think, crikey, I wish I'd have had what we can now deliver yeah. at the time running that, that program. So it's really pleasing for me who provides this, this platform as a service to people like yourself to hear things like that. And there was one other stark great thing that came out from the platform and the use of it. There was a particular team member, she was very quiet, really quiet, lovely lady, really quiet. But when it came to the retrospectives, would never really, would never really, um, she wasn't the kind of character, she wasn't your type A personality. Consistent with her work, always delivered superb work. But when it comes to retrospectives and things like that, you always want to have the most diverse views and thoughts that come through so that, you know, we actually take into account everyone in the team. So that kind of person wouldn't naturally step forward. The neurotech brought this lady out like nothing else. It was absolutely night and day. It was fantastic to see that somebody who was naturally quite reserved as a character, within a team setting at least anyway, was able to elicit, um, in fact, of all the people in the team, those who you would naturally have thought would be quite strident and give their views and their thoughts as to this new fandangled way of measuring how we feel about our work environment and how we feel about our team and delivering, you'd, you'd have thought that they would have stepped forward. And one or two of them did, which was great. But I genuinely did not expect, did not anticipate uh, that it would be that good for somebody who she, she, she not only became vocal, but very open. It produced a sense of openness. One of the core values of Agile as you said, courage, focus, openness. And because it did that for her, other members of the team who were equally quiet, they came out of their shell too. So there is a lot to be said for really getting under the skin, I suppose in a metaphorical sense, as well as even in a literal sense, really getting under the skin of both teams and individuals using something that doesn't allow them to use the intelligence, and especially in tech, you know, very intelligent people to use that intelligence to say, oh, actually, um, no, 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 I'm not like this. I'm like that, actually. Actually, something that just says you have no control over your response necessarily, or you have very, not say no control, very limited control to rule out an option that you might not wish to present. But actually, it's giving you, um, it gave her opportunity to challenge herself back to the question before she challenged her own attitudes as to, is that really me? That was absolutely, that was a really, really both a shining example of what getting under the skin can do with something like this platform, as well as enabling both an individual to operate in a much more expanded way within a team. It was fantastic. What Neurotech does is measure the the non-conscious, innate attitudinal uh, response to, to whatever and also, you've then got an opportunity to answer those questions how you choose to. And it's the difference, which is often the greatest. You know, um, people will often want to position themselves, present themselves in a slightly different way than what they really think for all sorts of reasons, not necessarily bad reasons, but all yes. sorts of reasons. Yes. Because um, we all do it. You know, every single one of us yeah. does it to a, yeah. to a certain extent. Um, yes. And the tool and, and the, the project we worked on together enabled you to look at both through both of those lenses and, yes. and see see not just where people are different but also where they they align their thoughts and feelings align Definitely. Definitely. just to sort of think of the future because that was so successful and you know we believe that this this is uh, a very useful tool for leaders particularly those in change you know we we are now taking this and productizing what we've done together 
to take it to the market, you know, because we right. believe that actually this short, sharp piece of work done pre-change, post-change, you know, regularly will give leaders that lens to look through, or two lenses to look through, to really see how, how people are feeling, adapting, maturing, yes. you know, being more authentic about themselves. So just wondered, you know, in, in what do you see is the future for that tool, Mark? I see there's a very bright future, to be honest with you, Simon. Because thinking of the current way that organizations are structured, having inherited a tailorist way of thinking, um, and I'm paraphrasing here that the management must determine the best way for workers to work. What's quite interesting about that is that although the tailorist way, certainly for the tangible side of organizations, has been brought into the picture, what's been missing is that they that the tailorist view also focuses on the intangibles because it talks about harmony. Mm. It talks about yeah. cooperation. Yeah. It talks about developing the individual. That's the bit about Taylorism that people have just completely cast aside. And and if we were to take all and to bring all of that back into the picture, you actually end up with something like a neurotech platform because because actually having the ability to say to someone, well, this is what you're comfortable with, so let's measure that explicitly. Let's find out what you really think at this point in time. Yeah. So they give their heartfelt view, their thoughtful view as to how they measure against those particular things. But also to have that harmonic, cooperative development side, the intangible side of the individual also being measured. I honestly do believe that the organisations that genuinely latch onto that side of measuring an individual, don't like to use that word, but we know what that means in this context, allowing the individual to measure themselves intangibly without conscious bias that organization stands a very good chance of getting all of the individual to work as opposed to just the explicit conscious part mm. the part that they know they have to do they have to go to work they have to be there for actually the reason why i want to go to work because i've actually been able to look at myself um through this intangible lens as well this implicit bias lens oh this is what i feel actually i'm struggling with I'll make it up. I'm struggling with attending a sprint review because that's where we have to be open and honest and say, well, actually, we didn't deliver what you wanted us to deliver this sprint. And we did the same last sprint. And I'm feeling yeah. really, really nervous about that. Can an organization put something around an individual that says, we won't blame you. What we want to do is support you and find a way to make this work for you. How do we do that? We won't treat you as though it's... Um, it's a competence issue. We'll treat it as though there's something that we we don't know explicitly what's going on. We believe that you want to deliver for us. Great. How do we make this work? It's almost as though there's a partnership going on as opposed to a top-down, the part of Taylorism yeah. that people wish to take as opposed to looking at all of that. So I think that any platform that lets an organisation do both dimensions, tangible, intangible, and then allows that to unfold into a partnership between the leaders and those who they're serving will end up in a very good space. And I think that leads to the tangible benefits of actually making more money for the organisation, which is what they're there for. Mark, it's been fascinating talking to you. I've really enjoyed that, that conversation. Likewise. Um, so thank you very much, Mark. No worries. Thank you, Simon. And I'll see you soon. Uh, definitely wish you guys all the best. It, it will certainly serve organisations superbly to use your platform. 
That's all for this episode. Follow us via the social links in the show notes. You can find us at truthsayers.io and subscribe to Truthsayers Neurocast on YouTube or any major podcast platform. Thank you.